Welcome to the Radio Plasma Podcast, a space dedicated to the exchange of ideas, conversations, stories, music, performances, and randomness. Listen at radioplasma.com. Also, we are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Stitcher. I'm your producer and host, Johan Rashi Vega. We're going to have an interesting conversation about an important program here in the city of Holyoke. We're going to demidify a lot of misconceptions and provide information about this program. And I want to welcome Liz Wynott here on our session today. Hi, Liz. Welcome. Hi. Thank you for having me. Let's start by knowing the program that you are running and the services that you are providing. So my name is Liz Wynott. I work at Tapestry and my official title is I'm the director of HIV Health and Prevention Services. But really what I do is I oversee our harm reduction programs at Tapestry. We're located all over Western Mass, and there are a few things that the agency does. Um, one thing is we have sexual and reproductive health clinics all over Western Mass. And the other big thing that we do, or another big thing that we do, is we have syringe access programs, which I like to call them instead of needle exchange, all over Western Mass. And we have one here in Holyoke. We also have one in Northampton, one in Greenfield, one in North Adams, and hopefully soon we'll be able to get one going in Springfield. So what we do at our syringe access sites is we work with people that are currently injecting drugs, um, currently using needles to inject mainly heroin, um, sometimes other opiates. And people that are injecting drugs are at extremely high risk historically of transmitting HIV, hepatitis C, and are at an incredibly high risk for overdosing. And what we do is we try to work with people, basically meeting them on a harm reduction framework is the word that we use. And that basically means like meeting the person where they're at. So when the approach that we take We don't like to think we're the experts, you know, and I think that is a common stereotype of a lot of people that use drugs is that, you know, if you're using drugs, a lot of people think you don't have the ability to make good decisions. I think that a lot of people have the stereotype in their mind of just, I don't know, somebody referred to like drug users as zombies the other day. So this like very descript way of, of seeing somebody and What we do at our sites is basically step back from that view and really try to question the belief system of, of how people that use substances and just how, you know, general people that we may not understand what's going on with somebody and how they're treated. And we try to provide services in collaboration with the people coming in instead of more like dictating what people need and what they need to do in order to get somewhere. So within that, the basic services we provide is we give out unused syringes. We also take used syringes back in and we also do a lot of testing and counseling around HIV, hepatitis C and different sexually transmitted infections. And we also do a lot of education around overdose prevention and education around how to administer Narcan, which is the drug that reverses um, opioid overdoses, such as heroin overdoses. And we're also able to give out the, the drug Narcan for free to whoever needs it. 
So I feel like I want to just want to talk about like the history of it for a second. Yeah. So I started at Tapestry. It's nine years ago now. So in 2008, as I started out as an intern at the Northampton Syringe Access Program, the Northampton Needle Exchange, um, when I was getting my master's in public health at UMass. And at that time in 2008, there was only one needle exchange in all of Western Massachusetts. So there's never been up and, you know, until the Holyoke site opened, um, any type of legal needle exchange in any of the areas really where the majority of HIV and hepatitis C is attributable to injection drug use. So up until 2012, there was no needle exchange in Holyoke, none in Springfields, and none west of Boston. Back in the mid-90s, the state government started to really, I guess, recognize and decide to do something about the continued rise of HIV infections attributable to people injecting drugs and the increasing number of people dying from overdoses, and they decided to do something about that through allowing cities to open up needle exchange programs. So the state allowed for that to happen in the mid-90s, and when they did that, they said up to 10 cities across the state of Massachusetts are able to open up a pilot needle exchange program. And in order to do that, the city, wherever it's being requested to be one, needs to get local approval from the local government. And when they did that, four needle exchanges almost immediately opened, one in Boston, one in Cambridge, one in Provincetown, and one in Northampton. And also around that time, there were many, many other attempts to open one across the state. There's been at least two other attempts um, that I know of in Holyoke to open one that were unsuccessful. There's been at least two attempts to open one in Springfield, which were unsuccessful. And there were many other attempts to open up, up all over the state where, again, HIV is attributable to injection drug use and where things such as overdosing and just problems with heroin addiction were happening. But what happened with the way that the language was worded about needing local approval is that wasn't well-defined. And it wasn't defined what local approval meant. So did it mean like city council approval? Did it mean mayoral approval? Did it mean police approving? Did it mean the Board of Health? And really what that did is that made it a very political process. It made people that really aren't public health experts, that aren't, you know, aren't paying attention to the evidence, aren't even really paying attention to the issue and made the popular opinion decide what was right for people that were injecting drugs. So say of the bat, like there the evidence is overwhelming in the success of needle exchange, which, you know, a level is just providing free, unused syringes that are to people that are actively injecting drugs. And the evidence just shows over and over, year after year, that it's, it's so successful in decreasing HIV, in also decreasing the amount of discarded syringes, in decreasing with syringes the amount of infectious disease found in those syringes. It's shown to be successful in engaging people um, that are not accessing any other forms of services. So often when people 
come in to see us, it's their first time engaging any type of healthcare, any time of treatment, um, any any kind of whatever. So although all of the evidence has shown that, what's happened with needle exchange is I think that word has often caused people to have a like visceral and emotional reaction because of, I guess, the moral beliefs that are had around drug use are had and had around needles in general and are had around how people should be treated when they are facing some sort of addiction. And because of that law and because of local approval, there continue to only be four legal needle exchanges in Massachusetts from the mid-90s up until 2012. And I just want to really highlight that uh, there's been a, a very, very bad heroin problem in Holyoke for a very long time, and it's continued to get worse. Holyoke has always had one of the highest rates of HIV in the state attributable to injection drug use. The majority of it, too, has mainly mostly affected Latinos, mostly affected people that don't have a lot of resources, aren't wealthy, and basically, I think, don't have a strong voice in what's being done and how problems should be looked at. So to not have a needle exchange, it's kind of really horrifying to me to think now that Holyoke didn't have any way to access clean syringes, unused syringes, until 2007, when Matt, the state decriminalized syringes. So before 2007, you could not possess a syringe legally. So if you were in Holyoke and you were an active injection drug user and you were pulled over or whatever, having a syringe on you would be grounds for arrest, never mind having heroin or anything else on you. So in 2007, luckily that law changed. It was a huge, huge step forward toward you know public health, improving the health of people. But that still is not enough. It, the numbers of people still transmitting HIV, the numbers of people still overdosing and dying uh, continue to rise. So in 2012, the city of Holyoke relooked at what local approval meant. And it was determined at that time that local approval would actually mean board of health approval instead of city council approval, which historically it's always been left up to the city council. So what that did is it put the issue of needle exchange and what that is into people that have a background in the medical field, have a background in public health and have knowledge of addiction and and so on and so forth to really look at the issue and decide what's best for injection drug users. And they decided that, yes, Holyoke does need a needle exchange, and one was opened. So we opened the fifth legal needle exchange in Massachusetts in 2012 here in Holyoke. And on this past Sunday, July 9th, we just celebrated our five-year anniversary. It's been a pretty incredible five years. There's been a lot of, uh, you know, I guess conflict around the issue of needle exchange, but we've, you know, 
just continue to provide basic services, like I already mentioned, you know, just giving out syringes, taking in syringes, providing free and confidential HIV and hepatitis C testing, giving out Narcan for free to people that most need it. And I think the shift of what people think has changed a little bit, but the amount of people that we're reaching that have never really had continued access to basic health services that are really are a human right. Every human should have access to basic health care, basic access to what they need to keep themselves healthy. So we've been doing that for the past five years, and we've served a total of, uh, I believe, a little bit over 6,000 unique individuals in the past five years. We've provided hundreds and hundreds of HIV tests. We've connected hundreds and hundreds of people to care, including basic health care, including things like access to detox, access to methadone, access to Suboxone. We've been giving out thousands of Narcan kits to people, and we've had over 800 reports now since we started doing this that the Narcan that like we gave out was used to reverse a potentially fatal overdose. So it's just been a wonderful five years. It really has. You know, I, and, and I was lucky enough to, uh, to be here like the first day that the Holyoke site opened, and it was... Um, a very just emotional time, especially reflecting back to those that I think are in need of, of access to supplies to keep oneself healthy and alive. And just thinking back to how hard that's always historically been to people that use drugs and how hard that continues to be. But just, you know, to, to really be able to finally provide this service to people that are already doing this, I think that's also important to really understand is that whether we like it or not, whether we choose to try to push it out of our consciousness, try to ignore it, drug use has been around for a long time and people are gonna use drugs whether other people think that it's the right thing or not. And you know, history has shown that people, a lot of people are gonna use needles to inject drugs. So when we first opened, it actually took over a week or two for anybody to come in through the door to access a syringe. And I find that really interesting because like I, I said, we've you know, reached over 6,000 unique individuals at this specific site. But within the first year or so, we only saw a couple hundred individual people. And a lot of that was through a lot of street outreach that staff do because staff will on a daily basis walk through the city or we used to have an RV and we would like park it in certain neighborhoods. And we would engage people that, you know, just haven't heard of tapestry, haven't accessed needles, haven't gotten tested. And we would just really spread the word about this like free and available service. And it took a long time for that to catch on. And it also took a long time to build trust among that, those people because heroin use, injection drug use, it's an incredibly stigmatized issue. And um, people that do heroin, people that you know face addiction, 
are just so marginalized and there's just so much judgment from the community and also like institutional judgment. It's very criminalized, you know, and so so really what that does is it's just produce people are afraid to access basic health, human things that everybody deserves to have access to, to keep themselves healthy. So it took a while and I know that there's been, like I said, I've been here since the beginning of, of the needle exchange. And, you know, since since we opened, there's always been public controversy about it. And that's always been a really interesting part of the story. It's really given us an opportunity to have dialogue about the issue around, around drug use, around heroin, around overdose, around, you know, diseases that are transmitted through injection drug use. And it's just had a lot of dialogue around what should the response be to drug use. And it's resulted in a lot of positive community development, really. When we first opened, you know, I think it was the day after, I saw a a public Facebook post about somebody seeing a syringe outside and blaming it on us. And... uh, we hadn't seen a client yet and i just i guess also find that that part interesting but i guess i don't really care to talk about that because i think is really important and can be really heartbreaking a lot of times is the human aspect of heroin addiction and how people that use drugs are treated and how um because of that treatment people are often put into like extremely, I guess, marginalized from society. You know, last, last week, um, there was a, uh, a person who went overdosed and they were found in Holyoke. And when they were found, they realized that they had died from an overdose the evening before. And I started thinking about like, you know, I, you can't really think about the what ifs, but I realized that they had probably overdosed and passed after the needle exchange closed that day. And I was thinking about that um, if we had been open at that time, like would that person's life has been saved? And also with that person dying, I mean, this, this has happened multiple times where we'll know somebody that has died of an overdose um, and it you know never makes the paper and most of the time it's not recognized in any way except by maybe some the other you know people that come in to our site that are friends with them and i think for a lot of us there that's one of the reasons why we're so dedicated to this type of work is to be able to provide that compassionate care and just you know seeing that that person that died and really I guess the reality of that, you know, that was somebody's son, that was somebody's possibly father, that was, you know, somebody's friend, that was, you know, somebody that had a lot of, just, just I'm sure, knows a lot of people in Western Mass, in Holyoke and whatever, and now they're just dead. And how unfair of a thing that is, that you know, this person that, that died last week, they died in the woods, they died alone. And 
I haven't seen it in the paper yet, which is okay, but I think that just means that like, I don't know how much their life was recognized. And I just find that, again, almost criminal because this person was using probably heroin. And because this person uses heroin, I think that doesn't justify them dying prematurely. And this happens all the time. The overdose death rate in Massachusetts continues to almost double each year, and it has been for the past few years. Massachusetts is one of the hardest hit states in the whole country with overdose deaths. And there's many reasons for that, but uh, part of it is attributable to like the prescription pill epidemic when opioid pills were being prescribed at a much higher rate than they ever were, and this was happening for a very long time. And the heroin, too, has also become much more available and much more less expensive compared to when I was growing up um, in the early 2000s. So one thing is that with the prescription pills, um, within the past few years, both federally and statewide, Officials have been starting to get on top of that trend and, and have been doing things to lessen the prescription pill epidemic. But what happened during that time with the overprescribing was that a lot of, lot of people became dependent on opioids. And that, I guess, dependence also led to more opioids being available and led to more heroin being available. And it just it has increased the number of people getting addicted. And there's illegally made fentanyl that's been being introduced to the drug market. And basically the, the fentanyl is being made in a laboratory setting and compared to heroin where you have to grow crops and it's a pretty intensive process. And fentanyl is starting to show up with heroin and people aren't knowing that it's fentanyl and not heroin. And fentanyl can be anywhere between 10 or to more times stronger than heroin. So what's happening is that fentanyl is ending up in people's hands and even the people selling it aren't aware that this is happening and people are taking what the amount of the drug that they usually take based on what they think it is. And because it's stronger, people are dying more often. Unfortunately, this problem is getting worse, and I don't see it getting better for a while. I don't see it getting better until, honestly, the drug market gets on top of what's going on. And because heroin obviously is illegal and it's you know bought on the black market, there's no like safety measures that can easily be taken to tell, even like learn what the concentration is in the bag or to um, identify how much, what the potency, what it's cut with. There's, there's really no concrete measures to do this because it is illegal. So I don't see this problem even flatlining. I just see it continuing to get worse until the drug market gets on top of this. And, and I think that's pretty horrible. It's been obvious for a while that the U.S. is facing an opioid crisis. I don't know off the top of my head how many people died last year, but it's in the like over 50,000 people. It's just, it's thousands and thousands and thousands of people that are dying. 
it's starting to get attention these past couple years because the prescription pill, I think, like the profile of who's, who's using drugs are starting to basically be reflective of the people in power. The opioids are affecting a lot more younger, a lot more white, and a lot more rural people. So, you know, officials are finally starting to pay attention to this issue. The problem's getting worse. And if everybody continues to go in a course of taking the decision-making power away from the people using drugs, the more people are going to die from this epidemic. And in my belief, and I think what we do, what's reflective at the needle exchange, is that we need to stop deciding what is best for drug users, and we need to actually listen to people that are actively using drugs and actually focus on how to save people's lives instead of just trying to continue to um, ignore the problem or focus on basically treatment as the only option. I am 100% very pro-recovery, very pro-treatment, but the problem that's happening right now is that there's really nothing being done for people that are using drugs. It seems to me the only option now, aside from very basic services such as we provide at the needle exchange, is that people need to stop using drugs. And even how that's done and how that's determined can often be very limited and be very coercive to the person. And that needs to stop. And one thing that has been getting a lot of attention, both statewide and nationally, as a potential solution to help this opioid epidemic is to open places where people can go and safely consume drugs under the supervision of licensed medical professionals. So they're often referred to as safer injection facilities or safer drug consumption rooms. And one of the main reasons why both the state and federal officials are taking this seriously is because most people die from an overdose when they're alone and because heroin addiction and the act of using is just so stigmatized that it often causes people to um, keep it a secret and to not have any safe places to go or anything. So what's been starting to happen more and more, especially over these past few years, is when people are dying, they're actually dying in safer injection facilities, but the safer injection facilities end up being a McDonald's bathroom or, you know, their bedroom at home or like just some area where they can go and safely inject and not have anybody being around them. So I think back to last week when this person that had died the night before was found. And I think how unfair it is for anybody to just die alone because they chose to use heroin and how important it is to provide opportunities to allow the person just to live another day, to live their life. And we need to do whatever measures it takes to make that possible for more people. So, you know, at the syringe access program, we're providing Narcan on a daily basis. We provide constant education on a daily basis about how to protect oneself around overdosing and, you know, doing things like not using alone, watching out for each other, 
We provide constant education on accessing treatments such as detox, but also suboxone and methadone. And, you know, we, we just, we provide all these opportunities and it's helped. It's definitely had an effect on the amount of HIV, on the amount of hep C, on the amount of overdoses. And there's, again, been evidence throughout the years that have really shown and demonstrated that. But there continues to be a growing amount of people that are dying. And that means that we need to rethink of what measures need to be done on a public health you know, spectrum. And what that really means is that we need to provide safe spaces for people to use drugs. On top of everything that people, well, certain people, prefer to put on the controversial side because of the stigma, because of the prejudice, because of ignorance. Yes, and sometimes it's a voluntary decision of being ignorant, not knowing or not wanting to know what is happening and how this thing works. It is easy to blame a program that is providing help and assistance and support for people dealing with addiction to be the reason or the source of the problem. And this is possibly the biggest issue in here, when the real source of the problem is the drug traffic. What is people doing about it? Why are they not talking about those drug dealers in many places in the city that many people know who they are and still they are around? Why that is not the topic of discussion in those public forums? So just to provide this informational service for the community to know and learn and be educated, what exactly is the needle exchange and what is not based on that misconception that many people have? What a needle exchange is, is it's a safe space for people who inject drugs to come into and safely dispose of their needles and safely access unused needles in an environment that's not judgmental. And also within a needle exchange, the actual needle is only one very small aspect of any program that provides the service. So it's a program that connects with people that often have no other healthy connection in their life. And it's oftentimes the only safe space that someone might come into for their entire day. And someone may come in and they'll access unused syringes and they'll discard of their used ones. A lot of times they'll also access things like clothing, shoes, food, water, basic needs, and then They'll also access a non-judgmental person, a counselor, to provide basic education and talk about what the person that's coming in needs at that moment. So in addition to syringes, which people need, there's also a lot of conversation and education and training around Narcan and how to prevent an overdose from happening. There's a lot of conversation around how to access healthcare, how to access substance use treatment, and how to basically, there's access to questions about anything related to the person's health and what they need. What it is not is it is not a space that enables people to use drugs. It's not a space where, you know, needle exchange does not increase the number of people that start using drugs. It does not increase the amount of time 
that people are will be like using drugs. It has, it's actually been shown to decrease. Well, needle exchanges have actually been shown to increase the chances of someone being ready to access treatment. So I think that there's just a lot of misconception and just not an understanding of what's going on within the person's life and what the services are actually doing and what's actually being done on a day-to-day basis. And there is also part of the misconceptions, the idea of taking care of the disposal of those needles and when sadly it happens, people in the community find some of those needles in different places, public spaces, where that represents a risk for the community, especially thinking about the children. Mm -hmm. But then the easiest thing for some people to do is to blame the needle exchange for this. In terms of syringe disposal, so we uh, get rid of syringes in a variety of ways. The first, of course, is people being able to drop off their syringes for free on an anonymous basis, and we um, discarded them at our site. But staff also do street outreach on a daily basis, and in addition to connecting with people, staff will dispose of discarded syringes while they're doing their outreach, walking through areas of Holyoke where drug use is known to happen. And then we also, on a monthly basis, have community cleanups where we'll host and advertise anybody that wants to come and join us to walk around Holyoke and pick up syringes. We just had one this past Saturday, and the one for August hasn't been scheduled yet, but it will be soon. And then we also have a syringe disposal line, which we opened up in 2014. And we opened that up when the agency SEPA wasn't able to do it anymore. And so with that hotline, somebody can call into this number and it goes to a Google voicemail. And on the voicemail, it asks for the person to describe where the needle is and you know, just give as like, specific directions as possible and provide that information. And once they do, that message automatically goes to everyone's email, including mine. We get the email and then we respond to it as soon as possible. So just this past week, I reported to the Holyoke Board of Health to um, give an update on our progress and our numbers. We do that about on a quarterly basis. And I calculated the numbers and through all of our outreach efforts, and this also includes subtracting the amount of needles we take in through people such as diabetics and others that aren't accessing our services, but our data shows that we have been taking in more needles than we've been giving out. So our program has actually reduced the amount of syringes. And it's also important to know that like needle exchanges are incredibly effective in reducing the rates of HIV and hepatitis C. So, you know, discarded syringes in general, it's horrible. Nobody, of course, wants that, and we don't want that either. And needle exchanges like are shown for the risk of the needle to hold HIV or hepatitis C to to lessen greatly. We also provide safer disposal education to everybody that comes in. So we provide that to all of the uh, needle exchange participants that are using drugs. We've also provided that to a lot of community members in Holyoke that work at different businesses or that may come in contact with syringes in their day-to-day work or whatever. And 
we're part of the solution. It's just shown over and over again that we're having this positive effect on the city. The thing is, is that, like I said earlier, heroin use and injection drug use has been a big issue in the city and across the state, across the country, long before we opened in 2012. We used to actually, like, before we opened, I, I was part of the outreach team sometimes where we would come to Holyoke on a regular basis to discard of syringes, and we were doing that long before we started distributing syringes in the city. Um, so I think that's just important, and I think it's also important to say that you can purchase syringes and get them at any pharmacy and at you know just many other places aside from the tapestry syringe access program and pharmacies such as CVS and Walgreens they don't offer syringe disposal and it's just there's a lot of things to take into consideration of when a syringe is found wherever it's found and of why that syringe ended up being there this is obviously like a very big problem and our numbers have shown that tapestry has helped to lessen the problem, but we need to have more of a community, I guess, change process to continue to help to decrease the amount of syringes that are found to be discarded. And now that you explain more in detail how the hotline works, it is something that it is important to reiterate to whoever wants to report a syringe or needle found anywhere in the city. If this automated message answers your call, it doesn't mean that goes to a voicemail that is going to be on hold until someone gets to listen, maybe especially if it is a weekend, until the next business day. The way this distribution works is that for the lack of a call center service where you have operators taking those calls, sometimes even 24-7, but that is an expense. That is a service that you need to pay for. So in this way, this automatic service does that work and sends that distribution message to anyone in the program so they can get that information right away. So the fact that you are not getting someone, a physical person, to take your call doesn't mean that the call is putting on hold and waiting for someone to listen who knows when. So it's something that actually is being taken care of as soon as you get it. Yeah. Yeah, if at all possible, it's taken care of as soon as we get it. We also have a like a list of people in Holyoke that are willing to respond to um, a needle pickup in case staff aren't able to, such as on the weekends or at night or whatever. So if it is the case where staff aren't around, then we send this message to a group of people, you know, through an email. And through the email, somebody will respond to that, seeing that they can go and get it, and we're able to keep track of it that way. So what do you think it is needed for our community, especially the non-users of drugs, the people who are not dealing directly with addiction or having the contact with people dealing with addiction, what it will be right now one of the most important things to do? When I think what are the one of the most important things I think for the general public to do is I think it's important to have compassion. And I think it's important to hold back one's belief on what they believe somebody is doing or who that person is based on what they think they're doing and what they look like. 
And I, I don't know, that that's a hard question to answer because, I mean, Tapestry as an agency, like, like I think that we need better funding so we can even like expand services further to do more street outreach, to be open longer hours, to, you know, just, just have better capacity and to do more um, training on safe syringe disposal and, and to work more with different businesses and, you know, different places to help dispose of syringes and, you know, and, and just more resources to better engage people that are currently injecting drugs. But I think, you know, I, I just, I really think it's important though, again, like, you got to hold back the judgment. You got it like people. It's just I think it's just so important when just like meeting anybody else to look at that person as an individual and to not stereotype the person based on what they look like or if they're doing something that may not look great to the person. And and right now I'm, you know, I'm thinking of just for example panhandling, um, the panhandlers, which are not necessarily related or we don't see them where with the services we provide. But it's the same kind of thing as like it's individuals and there's a lot of judgment and there's a lot of people making decisions based on real opinions that, you know, people think are right for somebody when they don't really know the issue. And I think it's also just about respecting the person and the basic human rights that people have and thinking about solutions as a coming together in a community instead of thinking of things to isolate people more that may be you know, facing whatever issue. I know that's a very vague answer, but I think the ideology of how drug users are treated is really important and that will help lead the direction to what officials or you know people in the field come up with as solutions and I think that like the solutions that we come up with as a community can be a lot more effective than they are. Yeah I don't I don't think it's a big answer Uh, actually it's a really complex issue that involves many different components on it and what I take from your response is We need to look at the problem and try to identify the source or the sources of it. Right now, many solutions or ideas are being just to deal with the effects of it, but not the real source or the origin of what is getting people to be addicted. Mm -hmm. That is getting people to be in the situation to panhandling. So... The work, I think, is to identify what happened for these individuals to get in that position and fix the problem from there. Because mm-hmm. right now they are already in this situation. And like you said, right now the best we can do is to be compassionate and, yes, still figure out what to do. But in order to fix the problem itself, it's about the sources and I believe right now, especially going with the, with the addiction problem, the source is the drug dealing. That's the problem yeah. to me. Oh, yeah, definitely. I, I do want to say, though, that um, I think that there's different levels of drug dealing. And the, the problem, obviously, is that 
obviously the complexities with how people that are on the front lines of selling drugs are often caught up in the midst of the world of addiction as well. And the people that are selling on the front lines and the people that are using, those often blend together. So that's not a black and white issue. What I would like to see is, and it's harder, and history has shown that it's harder to focus on the upper levels of the drug market. And again, to really find the route to, um, to try to stem the drug issue instead of there's so many knee-jerk reactions and it's very easy to, you know, see people out on the street and do a raid and, and just target those people that are... The people on the street, those aren't the people that really have control of the drug market and are really making those decisions about what goes in on a drug or how it's distributed or whatever, the, you know, so... It's complicated. It's complicated. <laughs> it's complicated. <laughs> so how can people get in touch with the Needle Exchange program in general, with all the services that you are providing in Tapestry? Yeah, if, to get in touch with us, I would say the best way is to go on our website, www.tapestryhealth.org. And on there is the list of all the services we provide in Western Mass. And you can navigate to the Holyoke Syringe Access page and find our address and phone number on there. You can also call the Needle Exchange directly, and that number is 413-315-3732, extension 1. We're open Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. For anybody that finds a discarded syringe in Holyoke, you can also call our hotline, and that number is 413-650-2679. And again, the hotline's available 24 hours a day, seven days a week in Holyoke. And um, if you do call, you should leave a detailed as message as possible. And we'll respond to it as soon as we can. And also, we will be giving you reminders and information as different events take place, especially for the cleanups. So that way, people interested in participating, helping to locate and, and remove any any syringes and needles discarded in places where they shouldn't be can be part of the solution by helping picking them up. We also, um, we do have a Tapestry Facebook page and we create an event every time we have a community syringe pickup. So we are going to have one in August and the date of that event will be going up soon. And I guess most importantly, the invitation is open for the public and the community to contact the needle exchange program and ask questions, mm -hmm. get informed, get to know what are the services, what is being done, how is being done, and maybe those misconceptions and misleading information that is being shared online without the proper research or accurate details, this could help to put that, that information in the right place and understand how things work and possibly with this shared information, it will help to think of other ways, more ideas that could get a community involved on how to take care of these situations, especially thinking about the safe places. How can we help this to be something that could be safe, not only for people using drugs, but also for the rest of the community. So that way we can find a middle ground where everyone can actually coexist with a situation that is real, is happening, 
we have a problem with addiction, and the best we can do is to learn more about it so we can understand it and take action, a positive one. That's right. Well, Liz, thank you so much for sharing all this information. Congratulations for five years of great work, commitment, dedication, and thank you for all this energy. It's something that takes a lot, a lot of effort, and, and you are taking care of so many people. And like you said, sadly, many of them go unrecognized. What you're doing is showing that compassion and that great quality as a human being of thinking about the ones that, for whatever reasons, are not in the same conditions as the rest of the, of the community in the public. So thank you for that, Liz. Thank you for also sharing this information. And this space is always open and welcoming for you to continue in sharing any other activities, events, and information that is important for the public to know. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This is Liz Wynott, director of the program for the Needle Exchange in Tapestry here in the city of Holyoke. And this was a really informative piece of information in this session of the Radio Plasma podcast. This episode was produced at the Plasma Media Lab here at the Gandhara Youth Development Center in Holyoke, Mass. I'm your producer and host, Johan Rochivega. Thank you for listening. <laughs>